This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're embarking on a new era of minor league baseball as the show before the show podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is episode number 20 of the show before the show. And I did not even realize how fitting it would be that we would start with episode number 20, the Sam Dykstra era of the show before the show. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. How's it going? What's up, man? So welcome in the new, uh, the new co the new, like I said last week, you take over as the smart, informative guy on the show before the show podcast. People still have to put up with me, but really excited to have you. Yeah, me too. Just imagine this like as an actual calendar. You know, we went from 19, which had Jake's <laughs> face on it, to 20, which is my face, which might, might not be as an attractive face, but it's a new one. Um, so it, we'll, we'll be doing the same things we always have. It's just a slightly different voice. And uh, the, all the same intelligent input and the stuff that you want to hear will be coming from Sam as it was coming from Jake. And and then I'll be here also. Uh, by the <laughs> way, did you happen to see yesterday, Sam, that I, I tweeted a picture of uh, Cubs right-handed minor league pitcher Ryan Williams who looks exactly like Jake? Did you happen to see no, this yesterday? I did not, but I let so, me get I tweeted it was 18 hours ago, and we're recording this on uh, on Tuesday afternoon. We're recording on location for the first time, but I tweeted uh, it took at Jake underscore signer leaving MILB for me to discover a minor leaguer looks exactly like him. And Jake's fiance even replied to it and said, I'm very uncomfortable with this because <laughs> they look like twins. So if you were wondering what Jake oh, looks like, just uh, go look at Ryan Williams, and they're the same guy. Are yes. they not? I, I can confirm this. It's crazy. Knowing Jake the way I do and knowing his fiance. <laughs> Uh, yes, I can confirm this, and I'm not surprised that was her reaction. So, if you were wondering that Ryan, if you know, if Jake Siner had a doppelganger in minor league baseball, Ryan Williams is it. And now, <laughs> uh, rest in peace, Jake Siner. We, we're bidding farewell to him, like Kevin Goldstein on the old BP podcast. Every time from now on, we'll just refer to Jake like he passed on to another world. <laughs> so, welcome yep. in. It is episode number twenty, and uh, yeah, we are. I am on location today. Uh, if I sound like I'm in a cave, it's because I sort of am. I am sitting in the. I don't know. There's a name for this press box that I already forgot, but I am at uh, Sam Saplesio Field in Grand Junction, Colorado, home of the Pioneer League's Grand Junction Rockies. I'm actually on the this will sound weird, but I am on the football side of this press box. This is a very cool, uh, really neatly and intelligently constructed facility. There is a baseball stadium, Saplesio Field, which I guess is to the east of where. I'm sitting right now and then to the west is a very small college football field for Colorado Mesa University so they built the press box basically down the first baseline of the baseball field and on the opposite side of it it overlooks the football field so it's a really neat construction but they stuck me in one of the football booths so I'm sort of having minor league baseball press box flashbacks but I'm looking out over a, a gridiron right now and uh yeah so it's our first this is like our first in ballpark show before the show maybe we'll just take it'll be a touring uh show on the road now in the Sam Dykstra era yeah, well, I'm just happy we still have firsts on this podcast. Like, like that's said, true. Twenty already, and you would think we've uh, run all those wells dry. We're still breaking new still ground. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, let's dive into our first uh, edition of Three Strikes with Sam, and we're going to start uh, in the brand new midseason prospect rankings from MLB Pipeline and MLB.com, uh, released just last week and updated for all 30 organizations as well as the top 100 prospects across the game of baseball. Byron Buxton remains your number one. We're going to talk about Buxton later on in the show today. Uh, but, Sam, some of the guys who jumped out at you uh, as far as the way that these rankings have shaken down here at the midway point of the season. Yeah, well, the first thing um, I always look for in these, you know, updated rankings midseason is that now we get to see uh, the 2015 draft picks, just kind of how they shake out um, compared to, you know, what guys we already knew who were top, were top 100 guys. And uh, the the guys at Pipeline, they put Brendan Rodgers as their uh, their top guy in this system, in uh, this new update as in terms of 2015 picks. He checks in at number 11. Um, interestingly, just one spot ahead of Top overall pick Dansby Swanson, uh, um, and that I mean the, they've always had it that way. They had uh, Rogers at the, as their number one draft draft pick going in, and then Swanson and Alex Bregman with the Astros got taken ahead of him. So it's interesting that he checks in just outside uh, the top ten. Interestingly, he's not the uh, highest ranked guy in terms of people or prospects who have been added to a new organization uh, in 2015. Yohan Mankata comes in at 10. Um, just to briefly or quickly go through the top 10, because that's what everybody, I'm sure, is very interested in. Yeah. Watson's at 1. Corey Seager's at 2. Lucas Giolito at 3. Miguel Sano, who's obviously still in the majors, at 4. Julio Urias at 5. J.P. Crawford, 6. Kyle Schwarber, 7. Joey Gallo, nine, or 8. Excuse me. Tyler Glasnow at 9. And Yohan Mankata at 10. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, that there's nothing there that really sticks out in terms of, wow, I'm surprised he's a top 10 prospect. A lot of these guys are established guys who we knew were good, especially, you know, the top four, top five. You know, now you rise. We're seeing it reflected um, that he is maybe he has an argument as the top pitching prospect in all of baseball. Um, but what stu stood out for you, Tyler? One of the guys who I thought was the, the most interesting climb in terms of where he was to start the season and where he is now at the midseason rankings is Orlando Arcia, who I think was about number 87 in the top 100 overall uh, prior to the midseason re-rankings. He's now number 14, so obviously he's rocketed up his stock, and we've talked about him a lot this year in the Brewers organization, stuff he's been able to do for A Biloxi. Very, very impressive season from him. Uh, the other thing that stuck out to me is how many of these guys we've already seen in the big leagues and how many are there right now. I mean, you mentioned Miguel Sano. He's still up there in Minnesota. Byron Buxton is headed now, is is back in, in the minor leagues with AAA Rochester after rehab assignment. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Kyle Schwarber, obviously, has had success with the Cubs at number seven. Joey Gallo's been up with the Rangers. He's at number eight. In numbers just 10 through 20, there are already a bunch of guys who have been in the big leagues or are in the big leagues or are knocking at the door. Trey Turner with the, uh, with the Washington Nationals organization. Of course, the San Diego Padres trade over the summer. He's at number 13. Luis Severino, who's been up with the Yankees. Steven Matz, who's been up with the Mets. Michael Conforto who's been up with the Mets those guys are just in between 16 and 19 so a ton of this talent has already seen major league time or is very close to seeing major league time but the fastest riser to me is Arcia and I think a guy who really flew under the radar for a lot of people even though he was the Brewers top prospect even though a lot of people knew the talent that he had I don't think people talked about him in that elite level of prospect status until this season so that's the thing that really jumps out to me yeah, for me, in terms of that, too, that's that's maybe the second thing I always look at is who made the biggest jump. And uh, for me, I wrote about this a little bit in Toolshed when I did a midseason Milby's 
um, a couple weeks ago. And the guy who really jumped up in the rankings uh, was Alex Reyes, you know, the pitcher in the Cardinals organization, right-hander. He wasn't even ranked at the beginning of the year. We, we knew he had a high fastball, um, a really good fastball, could tickle triple digits maybe. Um, but now he's the number 20 prospect after what was a really good stretch um, in the Florida State League with Palm Beach. Had a 2.26 ERA, 96 strikeouts and only 63 and two-thirds innings. Um, now he's up in Double A Springfield. I know he struggled a little bit on Sunday, um, but he's made that jump as a 20-year-old. So now he is, you know, considered one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in the game. And where is he going to go with that from from there? I mean, it's one thing to dominate in the FSL, and that's what gets you on on the board, like he is now. But uh, you know, how is he going to handle the move to Double A? It hasn't gone swimmingly so far, but he does. He again, he's striking out 20 and 13 in the third innings. So, uh, you know, keep an eye on where he'll be, you know, when up rankings are updated in the offseason and there's a little more time to chew on a uh, full season stats. Strike two, Sam, a couple of moves uh, around, in, around the AAA level. One guy going up, one guy hanging around. Uh, Jose Peraza, the Los Angeles Dodgers, will make the move to the big leagues. Howie Kendrick going on the disabled list there. Let's talk about him first, then we'll talk about Byron Buxton. Uh, Peraza has been a, a very quick riser throughout the minor leagues. Uh, he is still just 21 years old and gets an opportunity with a lot of really, really good tools. A very fast guy. Grades out at a 75 on the 20 to 80 scale from MLB.com with his run tool. Uh, really, really good quick swing and gets a chance to now show what he can do at the major league level. And, oh, by the way, second baseman, Corey Seager, we know what he can do, uh, ranked in the top five all season long and basically everybody's top 100 prospects list. He's a shortstop. So this is kind of the first glimpse of that middle infield of the future for the Dodgers. Yeah, one of the interesting things for me is going to be what are they going to do with Peraza defensively? Um, you know, you talked a little bit of that. That could be their uh, – you know, deep middle infield of the future. You know, Howie Kendrick, I think, has done after this year, and um, they have Jimmy Rollins, who's done after this year. Like, the, the, this could be their uh, middle infield going forward. But one thing I think I've read them talking about was potentially moving Peraza to center, giving him some shots there, just because of his speed. Like you said, seventy-five grade. Um, he steals all sorts of bases. Um, so you know, we'll see what they want to do with him. Right now, they gave him a start at second base, and he had one of my favorite things ever, which you know. These guys coming through the minor leagues, and we scream about their tools, and uh, you know, not necessarily everybody hears what we're saying. And then the guy goes and gets a triple in his first game, and all of a sudden we're like, "There's the speed we've been talking about." So now Dodgers fans are getting a little taste of that. Um, one thing about Peraza that uh, the scouting community is kind of split on is is his hitting ability. He he might be able to hit in the high 200s, maybe around 300 as a uh, future major leaguer, um, but there's not necessarily much power there. He's not going to slug. You know, anything higher than maybe mid-400s, if that. He's a little bit more of a spray hitter, a line drive guy. Um, but when you're able to turn, you know, singles into doubles, whether when they're just hit to the gaps or when you're able to steal, you know, multiple bases like he did last year. He stole 60 bases, 64 the year before that, um, 27 this year in the minors. Um, that That is valuable, and I, I will take that kind of speed, and I think the Dodgers are happy with uh, what they were able to get this year and what they might have going forward. 
Peraza was a shortstop in the Brave system and had to move because obviously Andrelton Simmons has that kind of locked down in Atlanta. But uh, he's made himself pretty diversified this year as well because in addition to playing uh, primarily second base, he's also gotten some time in the outfield this year. Uh, right. Saw a decent amount of action there uh, with Gwinnett and then saw a couple of games there with Oklahoma City. But I think what the what the Dodgers have now, and you hit kind of hit it on the head there, Sam, is you get a chance to at least see what the full package is that he can bring. You talk about maybe he's not going to hit for a lot of power. Maybe there's some things about his offensive game that people are unsure about. But now you at least get to see him there. Whereas in Atlanta, you didn't really know what the path was for him to get to the big leagues and stick. The Dodgers can test him there. He did make his debut last night. Uh, we're, again, recording this on Tuesday, the 11th. He debuted last night, hit a triple in his one hit in his major league debut, one for four, walked once, struck out once. So a good showing in that, uh, that first time through uh, a major league game. But uh, again, could be a glimpse of what's to come up the middle at Dodger Stadium for the Los Angeles Dodgers and that fan base. Uh, another guy with a AAA uh, pathway as of right now is Byron Buxton, the top prospect in all of baseball. Made his major league debut, was injured in June, injured his thumb sliding into a base. Uh, that's been the biggest holdback for Byron Buxton so far is his inability at this point in his career to stay healthy. And that is such an unfair thing to knock anyone for because it's not a skill set. Staying healthy is not something that you're good at or not good at. It's just that Byron Buxton has had to deal with a lot of unfortunate things so far in his career with wrist problems and now the hand problem. Last year there was a hand injury in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, but Buxton finishes rehab assignment with AAA Rochester, but the Twins will keep him there. I think that's a good move as of right now. Get regular bats, get him back into you know what you need to see from him. And the talent is so obviously there for Byron Buxton. Still 21 years old, gets that first taste of Major League Baseball. And now I think you look at a guy who is ready to prove that he is the entire package. And once he's back, he doesn't have a single tool that grades lower than 60. <laughs> and that's ridiculous. So I think Buxton, I mean, I think this will kind of be that carrot that you dangle in front of him, knowing that the major leagues are that close. Yeah, and just for him to get that taste a little while ago, um, you know, now I'm sure you talk to a lot of these guys and they, they say you get that one taste, you get to see what the life is like in the majors and you want it all the more uh, to get back. And now that he's seen what it's like, he, you know, he wasn't exactly tearing the cover off the ball there, which, you know, again, you said he's a 20-year-old guy, you know, making his major league deb debut, only hit 189 in 11 games before the injury. Um, so th you're right, this does feel like a right move for now. Let him get some playing time. Um, he's not going to be starting over Aaron Hicks right now, or a, a healthy Aaron Hicks anyways, who's got a 110 OPS right now in, in center for the Twins. Um, so let him get that time in Rochester. They're going to clear out as many at-bats, as many plate appearances, and as many innings as the field, in the field as they can for him. Let him make up from some lost time. And, uh, you know, the good thing for us is we'll be able to, be able, or we'll be able to watch uh, more of his highlights and get to see him, you know, showcase off that, uh, really good glove and center and that speed on the base pass and and that power which as you said is the uh the one tool which is only considered slightly above average at, as a 60 uh tool so you know that we'll be the benefactors of this i think the buxton will be the benefactors of this i think the twins will too um you know you, you're probably going to see him again in september when they do make that playoff push 
Um, but for right now, let him get his at-bats in, in uh, Rochester, and we'll go from there. Strike three for episode number 20 of Minor League Baseball is the show before the show podcast is uh, a guy who went a little unfiltered this week. And this happens throughout Minor League Baseball. There are some very interesting, very intelligent guys out there who write blogs or, you know, guests contribute to media outlets or whatever it is. Rob Kaminsky is the latest guy who we're going to discuss to go that route. Kaminsky, of course, traded uh, as part of a trade deadline deal in which the Cleveland Indians acquired him from the St. Louis Cardinals and a straight up trade for Brandon Moss and sent out uh, a blog post uh, at 22s2cents.com. That's 22s-t-w-o-c-e-n-t-s.com. That's Rob Kaminsky's uh, blog, little website, WordPress site, and talked about what it feels like to be traded, what that means not only for a player but for his friends, for his family, uh, the reaction that he got from people on social media, what it means to all of a sudden – not know anybody in your in your professional organization to go to a new team have to get acclimated to a new city everything really really interesting stuff what were some of your takeaways from this sam yeah well one thing you always uh robert emmerich had a thing uh or a piece last offseason in which he talked to a lot of guys who were traded and uh kaminsky echoed a lot of the same thoughts in which that you don't really think about other occupations being traded uh, I think the, the thing he brought up was, does a lawyer get traded for a lawyer? This is how I phrase it. And every single time I've talked to somebody who's been traded, that's how I phrase it. Like, you don't walk into your job as an accountant, and all of a sudden they're like, all right, we sent you to Milwaukee. You right. know, like this only happens in sports. Right. You have to physically move. I mean, one of, when uh, Robert was talking to Addison Russell, he said the first thing I had to do was close out my apartment in Midland, Texas. Um, I think that's, you know, part of the human element that we just don't necessarily, or the average fan doesn't necessarily think about when uh, their favorite player is traded, what it means for the family. Um, he, I think Kaminsky told a nice little anecdote in saying, the second I was traded, you know, the bumper stickers automatically yeah. came off all the cars yeah. in New Jersey. You know, my, my family is are now all major Indians fans because of this trade. And uh, another thing people don't understand is how easy of a thing that is. Um, you know, how easy it is to root for the individual and what the organization he's in. And uh, he was also very gracious to the Cardinals. I mean, I, I think he understands the way the process works. Um, you know, they, they were making a move, and he was okay with that um, because the, I think the way he said it was the longer you linger, the the problem, you know, the more problems you're going to have with it. So it's easier to just move on, accept where, where he is with the Indians. And, uh, yeah, I was grateful for him writing this. I mean, I, I love when players open up like this and – like you said, it was unfiltered and it was straight. It was pure. You could tell he thought about it hard. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate this more like this from the minor leaguers would be. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, in one of our very early episodes, we talked with, uh, Astros prospect Mark Appel, who also has a blog and kind of the same sort of thing, just about what it meant for him to be able to have that outlet where he could talk, you know, a kind of stream of consciousness about what he feels, what he goes through in a season. And it's neat to see when guys do that, but there definitely is that human element. Like you put it, Sam, the guys, go through that fans don't understand at all. I remember my first season working in minor league baseball uh, when I was the radio voice of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. We we're an Atlanta Braves affiliate. That was the year that Jeff Locke was traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I remember, if I remember correctly, and this might have been another player in a different deal, but the story's the same. His car sat in the player's parking lot for like three months. Because when you <laughs> get shipped to another organization – all of a sudden, everything goes into pause where you were. You got to close out your apartment. You got to ship your stuff. All of that. So it's not like you just, no, okay, well, I'm going to go. I'll take a few days. I'll pack. I'll whatever. You're with your new team a few days later. 
Uh, and all of a sudden, that's your world. The entire axis that you were spinning on has been shifted to something entirely different. And nobody really understands how that works more than the athletes who have to go through it. So it was a really, really interesting piece uh, to hear from Rob Kaminsky. Again, it's 22s2cents.com, and you can check that out. The Business of a Game is the uh, the title of that post. He's got a lot of other stuff about riding the bus in the minor leagues, the day-to-day routines of what minor leaguers go through, what it's like dealing with failure as a competitive person playing a, a professional sport. So there's some really interesting stuff there from Rob Kaminsky, who was uh, a first-round pick of the St. Louis Cardinals back in 2013. He was taking nine picks after the Cardinals took Marco Gonzalez. So obviously they've churned so much through that system, and now he'll try to make his climb with the Cleveland Indians organization. But really interesting stuff there from Rob Kaminsky, who is also a member of that reorganized, re-ranked MLB.com Top 100, which you can check out at MLB.com through the MLB Pipeline. Uh, Rob Kaminsky checks in ranked 86th overall this season. Coming up next, we are going to switch gears a little bit. Benjamin Hill has returned from the wilds of his most recent road trip, and we're going to talk about that swing through the South as well as promotions and a whole lot more with Ben Hill next on episode number 20 of Minor League Baseball's The Show Before the Show. Back in civilization and places with air conditioning, Ben Hill made it out of the Deep South alive. Welcome back to the show, Ben. You sound so much clearer than on a phone. Thank you. It's good to be here, and uh, congratulations to you, Tyler, for insulting the entirety of the South in your uh, <laughs> I lived in South Carolina for three years. I feel like I can get away with it. Not at all. There will be people with, like, burning pitchforks when I – I don't think you burn the pitchforks. You have torches and pitchforks in addition, right? Well, well you'll find works? out soon enough. That's all. <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll know. Yeah. As soon as I get home to yeah. my palatial estate – one bedroom apartment it'll be it'll be exciting exciting development for me well hey welcome back ben uh we talked to you last when you were on the road uh in a rest stop somewhere outside of nashville but made it to nashville checked out the nashville sounds new ballpark which is one of the new crown jewels of of minor league baseball uh give us you know kind of the lowdown on first tennessee and the uh the new chapter of sounds baseball because one of the older facilities in the pcl i know for a long very venerable facility for a long time kind of over the last few years was one of those trips i think pcl teams didn't really look forward to but now nashville is front and center in the minor league universe Right, their old home of Greer Stadium. I was fortunate enough to go there twice, and I really liked it just for a kind of ramshackle charm. It had a quirky energy I liked, but for a AAA stadium in a market like Nashville, there was no doubt that they needed a new stadium, and they needed one pretty badly. It was falling apart. Um, so this new stadium, you know, first Tennessee Bank ballpark, um, it is more finished than, you know, say, the new stadium in Biloxi. Um, it is not an active construction site, but in a way it is because when you get there, it is ringed with construction projects surrounding it because like the formula for a lot of ballparks these days, you know, they're going to have some you know, mixed-use buildings, some condos, residential areas. There's a greenway that already exists that goes right by the stadium, and they're going to incorporate that pathway into the park. Um, so it is a work in progress on that front. And interestingly enough, before the sounds were in Greer Stadium, they were in Sulphur Dell Ballpark, and this new ballpark is in that exact or almost exact same spot. So in a certain way, they're returning to where you know baseball really used to be in Nashville. So it's not so much a new ballpark. I mean, it's very much a new ballpark, but it's also a return to the old, and there's an interesting historical aspect to the stadium on that front. 
but it is not a historic looking facility. It looks like a brand new gleaming ballpark, wide concourses, uh, lots of room to move. And uh, the iconic guitar scoreboard at Greer has been replaced with a new guitar scoreboard that is huge. And it's pretty cool, you know, with the line score on the neck of the guitar and whatnot. Yeah, and how much does that uh, guitar scoreboard just kind of like envelope the stadium? That's one thing I know everybody wanted to talk about when they first made it was, are they bringing the guitar scoreboard over? Um, how does it kind of work in that particular place now? It is out there in right center field, and it, it is massive. It definitely, if you were going to go to that stadium and someone said, hey, quick, one thing about this ballpark, I guarantee you'd say the guitar scoreboard because it, it kind of, I don't want to say it dwarfs the rest of the ballpark, but it is um, it is gigantic. And whereas at the old ballpark, there wasn't a concourse, you know, so you were only seeing the scoreboard from afar, here at the new one with this new guitar scoreboard, you can you know do a lap around the field and walk right underneath it, and you are just looking straight upwards at this gigantic, beaming, electric HD guitar, and it is a very unique feature of the of the team. And you know, they, it's the Music City, and they're the sounds, and that guitar scoreboard is very important to them. Ben, do you feel like the same sort of rejuvenation for a market that we saw in, let's say, Charlotte uh, with a, a brand new facility, really good area, that type of thing? Do you feel like that's kind of the same uh, replicated feeling around that ballpark now? Because for so long, it seemed like the sounds were kind of floundering in a facility that wasn't really befitting them. But it feels, at least from an outsider's perspective, like that community is very, very much on board with that team and that ballpark again. Yeah, absolutely. I think in recent history, Charlotte and Nashville are very comparable in which that they're two large markets, AAA markets, and AAA markets that are on the higher end in size, even by AAA standards. Um, but yet they were floundering, uh, you know, with ballparks that were more remote locations, beat up, and really not drawing fans or having kind of baseball in the culture as would befit a town of their size. And, and both by having new downtown ballparks, there is a, a baseball energy around the stadium around the city that there didn't used to be. And, of course, it's minor league baseball. You know, people in Nashville are not going to be able to talk about how the sounds are doing the way they will talk about, um, you know, the, the Titans or the Predators. But, you know, people are going to be going to a lot more sounds games. And, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's true. It is a new gathering place. You know, 70 home games a year, wide open concourse. Uh, out in um, right field, they have what is called the band box. And... Uh, you know, aimed toward the younger crowd, people who might not watch the game at all, but they actually had a shuffleboard court out there, two ping pong tables, a big open bar, uh, you know, plush loungy furniture. So they were really trying to make it a hangout spot to those who might want to go that direction. Yeah, and it uh, sounds like a bar in Brooklyn that I know. But uh, <laughs> in terms of this whole kind of swing, I mean, we kind of put the theme of it of it being a southern swing, but was there anything else that kind of like, connected all these ballparks or was there any theme that you kind of now that you're back can kind of connect that that whole trip it's kind of tough to do that it was hot everywhere which is a very <laughs> obvious response but starting in nashville and um you know going on to biloxi and uh montgomery and mobile and uh, pearl mississippi home of the mississippi braves and the jackson generals and the nashville sounds even though that is all the South, you have a variety of leagues there and a variety of ballparks. And um, it wasn't like maybe as I continue to write about it, a uh, kind of larger thesis statement will emerge. But I think like minor league baseball in general, there's just a lot of diversity in the atmosphere in terms of what you might expect you know, day to day 
in the uh, terms of the very specific culture of, of each of these minor league ballparks. There's some really cool stuff from this trip, uh, and Ben's got one more trip coming up that we'll talk about here uh, in the next couple of weeks, but there's some really, really cool stories both on MILB.com and on the blog at bensbiz.mlblogs.com. But, Ben, one that I wanted you to touch on really quickly, uh, one of the very rare artificial surfaces in minor league baseball is now home to the brand-new West Virginia Black Bears in Morgantown, West Virginia, and there is a groundskeeper that goes along with an artificial turf playing field that not a lot of people would think but a really really cool story that you had uh, last month about the the facility in West Virginia yeah that was the last stop on my previous road trip and I can't keep them straight either (laughs) Um, but it was interesting it wasn't a story I had planned out but I got to the ballpark very early on you know Monongalia County Ballpark home of the West Virginia Black Bears they share it with WVU West Virginia University And, yes, it's artificial turf, so I'm getting a tour of the ballpark hours before the game starts. Players are still warming up in their shorts, and I'm just walking around. And um, I kind of overhear the groundskeeper, someone making fun of him, saying, like, hey, this guy has a mound fetish, meaning that when the entirety of the field is artificial turf, the only thing you really have to maintain is the mound, and this guy had a mound fetish. And I was like, oh, that's funny to be a groundskeeper on an artificial turf field. It sounds like a, a paradox, a you know, sort of something that shouldn't exist. But it was interesting. He has a full-time job, and for the, for him and for the people he works with, when, you're, when you are a groundskeeper in artificial turf field, a lot of it is maintenance in terms of, like, cleaning up and picking things up off of it, which doesn't sound very appealing, but you got to be really diligent about the sunflower seeds, and he said even guys, like, lose bobby pins from their hair. I didn't really even know minor league baseball players <laughs> use bobby pins. I was going to say, who was down there, Bryce Harper with that hair? Yeah, maybe. But um, And, yes, you know, he keeps meticulous care of the mound, and there's bullpen mounds, and he does maintenance around the ballpark as well. So it's not like he's just hanging around waiting for some rain so he can, you know, go drape a little baby tarp over the mound, and that's it. But kind of interesting. When you have an artificial turf field, you still need a groundskeeper. Who knew? I know, by the way, no tarp poles. For that team, so eat your heart out, MILB front offices. Yeah, baby part, baby tarp pools. It takes two people, and you got to lay it over the pitcher's mound. <laughs> I was in Hillsborough two years ago for the first rain delay in Hillsborough Hops history, and I'm sorry to call you guys out, Hillsborough. Hops. <laughs> it started Prepare raining. Yourself. It started raining, and they couldn't find the tarp. All they had to do was cover just the mound, and they couldn't find. That baby. happened at Dodger Stadium. Was that this year that they had somebody had moved the tarp to beyond the center field wall? And when it started raining, the grounds guys were like, what did we do with the tarp? What? Where did that go? It's got to be a nice luxury to have. It is. It is. But, you know, always be prepared. You never know. Been digging out of the uh, glut of things that I would assume pile up when you have been gone for a little while. What else you got coming up to the site and to the blog? Oh, on the blog, I've got a comprehensive blog post from every all seven of the stadiums I visited on this last trip, so there's a ton more to come from that southern trip. And also have a few more MILB articles, at least three more from the road, writing one kind of based around the Mississippi Braves right now. Going to have something up on Nashville later this week. Um, little story from Jackson. Various odds and ends. It, it never ends, and it's always odd. And you get to do your first edition of the show in studio. We'll just call it a studio with Sam Dykstra. How do you feel Sam is handling himself compared to the Jake Siner standard that was set? Because I'm very impressed so far. Yes, I'm impressed as well. Um, 
you know, my number one concern with this podcast is whose tones are the most dulcet. <laughs> so, oh, God. There's no trumping Tyler, though. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just need to get dulcetier and dulcetier every week, and then maybe one day you'll be the dulcetiest. Oh, that's good. I have something to aim for now, right, so that's good. Right. Also, I heard a guy on – I tweeted this at Ben a couple weeks ago. Heard a guy on NPR who sounded exactly like Ben. And then I found another story that that guy did, and he only sounded like 75% of what I remember. But still, very much like a, I found Jake's like actual twin, Ryan Williams of the Tennessee Smokies. I have found Ben's voice twin, who's a reporter in Europe for NPR. So now, Sam, you're next. I'll find somebody who, I don't know, d- dresses the same or something. I don't know if I should be excited or scared, but <laughs> – Either way, yeah, uh, I'm in anticipation. We'll put it that way. Ben Hill, you can follow on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. You can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com, and all kinds of good stuff, as always, coming to the site as well. Um, one thing that uh, we're heading toward very soon is more than likely over the next few months, we're going to start getting that glut of minor league rebrands, which seem to happen every offseason. That's some of my favorite stuff of Ben, so I'm getting very excited for that because fall is somewhat on the way within the next couple of months. So as all, it never stops. Like Ben said, it never ends, and it's always a ton of fun for us. So, Ben, uh, good to have you back, man. Even though I'm you know 2,000 miles away, it's good to see you in the studio. Good to be here. Thanks, as always, to Benjamin Hill. You can follow all the rest of his uh, southern swing. I got the Virginia trip on the brain because of the groundskeeper story because I read it the other day. The southern swing was the most recent one, and Ben's got one more trip coming up this uh, close of the minor league season, which we'll talk about next week. So go follow Ben as he continues trotting out all of his awesome road trip coverage from the 2015 season. We're going to switch gears, and uh, it's not often that we talk about prospect coverage from kind of a non-prospect entity but one of the best baseball writers out there is yahoo sports jeff passan and passan had a very good column earlier this week uh in his 10 degrees column which comes out weekly where he talked about how this class of rookies in major league baseball is maybe the best that we have ever seen in the history of the game the year of the rookie and dove into the the war rankings from this class where they rank in history uh as it pertains to other rookie classes classes who have come through all the stars who have come out of this class already some of the players who i know he described hearing from a gm in major league baseball who described carlos correa as maybe one of the top five players in the game already not top five rookies one of the top five players and i mean this column is great if you head to yahoo sports you can check it out uh our thing i read for this week and uh sam you actually brought this one to my attention there's a lot of really good stuff in here and the praise for correa just does not stop which is something that those of us on the minor league side probably could have told you was coming a couple years ago but everybody is in love with carlos correa yeah there's one one of my favorite parts is when he jumps into you know talking about the rookies and the prospects and um i'll just read the paragraph he uh put here it was considering most of this season's class hasn't even spent half a year in the major leagues calling a hall of famer at this juncture is the epitome of foolishness wait for it and yet every time dot 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 Carlos Correa's name comes up, the plaudits rise. So he's not trying to say Carlos Correa is going to Cooperstown already. We know this. But every time we, we've talked to people before, we've read stuff before when he was in you know, Corpus Christi, when he was in Fresno, when he was even going back to Lancaster, Quad Cities, whatever. This guy is talented, and now the world's getting to see it. And now the numbers are starting to show that as well. Um, one, the whole point of the, the column was that, like you said, in terms of war, uh, this rookie class might be the greatest ever. Well, officially, uh, 
this week they've officially passed the class of 1987. Right now, the class of 2015 rookies have a 49.5 war, according to Fangraphs. Uh, 1987 had 49.4, so they are officially the best class ever in terms of with that. over and, a month and a half left in the season. Exactly, and that it's only going to grow from there. And then you look at. Uh, passing provides some of the group of that class in 1987. There's Rafi Palmero, Mark McGuire, Bo Jackson, Ken Caminiti, Matt Williams, Lloyd McClendon, uh, Paul O'Neill. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, Greg Maddox. Um, you know, it, there were so many good players in that class, and this year's class is technically better. Correa leading the group. Chris Bryant, you know, a guy we off discussed on this podcast right now, leads all rookie hitters and more at 3.9. But then there are other guys below them that weren't necessarily we were thinking were going to be Rookie of the Year con- uh, candidates to start the year, and they're, they're right up there. Randall Grichik uh, stands out. He's got a 2.7 more just because he's, you know, really showed some really nice power numbers uh, w- in his uh, year with the Cardinals. And then there's Matt Duffy with the Giants, who you know, I don't think any of us would have thought he'd be in the top 10 for Rookie War. Um, now he's number two amongst hitters. Um, on the pitcher side, there's you know some of the familiar candidates. Noah Syndergaard leads with 2.5. Um, but you know we've talked all year. I think when you guys were doing the podcast earlier this year, it was just week after week. Okay, who's promoted this this week? And I mean we have that a little bit this week with Jose Peraza. But it just seems like so many guys who are top 100 guys are so close to the majors. They've made that jump and they've made it well. And uh, that that's might that might be how we remember this major league season. Never mind prospect season. One of the other guys who I thought was was fascinating that this time six months ago you never would have picked out to be on this list is Kyle Schwarber. If you were going to say a Chicago Cubs slugger would be on this list, obviously you would pick Chris Bryant, but Kyle Schwarber has taken baseball by storm so far, and it remains to be seen what he is going to be in his career. We know he's going to be a hitter. It remains to be seen defensively what he'll be because for so long everybody said there's no way that he's going to stick as a catcher, but you know he's held some time back there. He's played in left field. Uh, coming out of college, a lot of people thought maybe a corner infielder obviously the Cubs are pretty well set there but Schwarber just rakes he just kills baseballs and that was his MO coming out of school and it has not slowed down at all I mean throughout his professional career every level it seems like he's gotten better and major league pitching has not has not shown to be uh, as much of a challenge as I think a lot of people thought maybe it would be that he would come back to earth he's not the guy that you would have figured was going to be on this list from the Cubs but man Schwarber's been fun to watch yeah, and another thing about these lists, too, is you have to consider defense. That's the good thing about war. It, it takes so much into account. And, right. Uh, and in that kind of sense, guys like Michael Taylor, uh, Nick Ahmed with the Diamondbacks get a little bit of a uh, you know, a little bit of a boost. Nick Ahmed only hitting 225 this year, only has a 280 OBP. But he, his defense has been so good in the D-backs infield that he's actually technically been worth 1.2 war, which is 17th um, uh, you know, among major league rookies and then Taylor the same way you know he's only hitting 243 only has a 287 OP or OBA OBP excuse me and uh you know but again he's worth 2.2 war and that puts him in the top 10 I mean there this class is so multifaceted it isn't just the Bryants or you know what we thought was going to be Joey Gallo you know providing a lot of power there's so much going on in this class which which makes it 
that much more fun to enjoy and watch them rise. There are a couple other guys who I want to touch on, and there are obviously some of the names you would really expect to be on this list. Noah Syndergaard, Aaron Nola, Joe Ross, uh, Lance McCullers, even among the pitchers. Matt Duffy has been very unheralded. I think outside of San Francisco, people have not really seen how great he has been for the Giants this year. Randall Grichik's had a phenomenal season, Miguel Sano. But two guys who I really want to hit on, James McCann of the Detroit Tigers yeah. is yeah. one, and Jung-Ho Gong of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, we'll talk about Gong first just because – he has come out of nowhere, and it's only because of where he comes from. So many of these guys we've seen climb out of the draft. They've been prospects for a long time, whatever it is. But Jung-Ho Gong comes over from the Korea Baseball Organization, 28 years old, so not your traditional rookie. But what a spark he's provided in Pittsburgh. That kid has been unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, I, you know, that we, I remember writing a column at the beginning of the season and trying to say, you know, who are fantasy prospects to watch? Who are guys who you should consider adding? And I had Gong on there just because he was such an unknown uh, entity and we didn't know exactly where he was going to play. And, you know, the Pirates had kind of a little bit of a, um, not necessarily stacked infield, but playing time is going to be an issue. But he really has taken it and just run with it. I mean, a 293 average, 368 OBP, nine homers, you know, five steals. He's, I think the Pirates couldn't have been happier with what they've gotten with him, and especially with Josh Harrison out. You know that infield has taken a little bit of a hit, um, and, and it is more intriguing for us too because a lot of these technical prospects who we've been following for years in the minors, we, you know, when they do perform at the highest level, when Chris Bryant is doing what he's always been doing, when Carlos Correa is doing what he's always been doing, it's not a surprise. So to be surprised with somebody like Gong is is uh, all the better for me, I would say. That's a guy who hit 40 home runs last year in Korea. And that power obviously doesn't translate completely equivocally, but nine home runs so far this season. Last year, he OPS 1198 in the KBO for the Nexon Heroes. This year, an 821 OPS. He has played in 93 games so far for the Pirates. He's just taken that opportunity and really bolted with it. And the other guy who just comes across as being a very fascinating case is James McCann. It seems like a, a player's catcher. The type of guy who players love to go to work for. Uh, the pitching staff obviously loves him. In this column from Jeff Pass and Yahoo, David Price uh, tweeted that he sent out uh, last week where he said James McCann will have a C on his chest like Veritech did. He cares and he is a leader. He will do what needs to be done. Guys love James McCann. That team loves that guy behind the plate. Absolutely. And he he was another guy, same way. We didn't think, you know, he would necessarily right. take exactly. and run with it. And he, his line is very respectable. I mean, he's got a 289, 324, 34. That's, that's pretty good for a catcher. And then throw in, he's got a 45% caught stealing rate. I mean, that that screams future all-star um, when he can build on that. And like you said, the praise from Bryce um, on his way out the door or, you know, after a while out the door, a week out the door, um, just, you know, screams even more that that, that's guy, that guy could be a cornerstone for the Tigers during their rebuild coming up. Very, very cool piece on Yahoo Sports that you can check out from earlier this week. The year of the rookie is here, and we are witnessing uh, a season like we have rarely seen in Major League Baseball. And, oh, by the way, there are still some of the best prospects in the minors who we might see coming up in September, guys like Corey Seager. Uh, but, you know, next year is probably Lucas Giolito's year, and Julio Urias is not that far away, and J.P. Crawford is not that far away. I mean, these guys who are going to see regular Major League time, there is so much talent. We've said this week in and week out, but it just doesn't quit. I mean, this pipeline that we have seen in the majors this year seems like it's not really going to be slowing down. It's not like 2015 is going to be done and all of a sudden, okay, well, you know, that was fun, and now we're back to some doldrums. There's still a ton on the way. Yeah, and the interesting thing going forward is what 
effect is this year going to have on how we view prospects and organizations view prospects? You know, if you have a hole at shortstop and you have a really good one at double A, do you go out and try to get that? If you have the money, do you go and spend it on a, a you know, big time shortstop or you decide, you know what, we saw what Carlos Correa can do and we, we trust our guy a little more. And, you know, one thing about prospects is that they are cost controlled. You know, you don't have to worry about paying them the big bucks for years down the line. Um, so I'll be interested to see if next year, you know, rookies get a little bit more of a chance based on the way that this year's have performed. We are going to wrap up episode number 20 of the show before the show podcast coming up next and get you set for uh, the week on MILB.TV and uh, what we got coming up uh, on next week's edition of the show. So we'll wrap things up next. Putting the finishing touches on the 20th edition of Minor League Baseball Show Before the Show podcast. You can get in touch with us. Questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, podcast at MILB.com. You can listen to the show, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And you can check out the show at MILB.com as well, where we've got all our episodes archived there on the site. Uh, One thing that I knew as we closed out the segment, I had forgotten to talk about something with Benjamin Hill. But Ben has a good story up on its middle child day coming up this week and a bunch of teams throughout MILB are celebrating middle children everywhere. So that's Ben's column for Cut for this week over on MLB.com. So go check that out. I There's only two kids in my family. I had no idea this existed. Did you know about this, Sam? No, it's just me and my sister. So yeah, we same here. Yeah, so we could, we could pretend there's a middle child. <laughs> pretend. Yeah, We used to always ask my parents, when are we having another one? And I think we were too much of a handful for there to be any, any idea of a middle child. So, uh yeah, I, we'll all celebrate in our own special way, I guess. So if you are a middle child or if you have an imaginary or a real middle sibling in your family, go check that out uh, with Ben's piece for Cut 4. And uh, coming up this week on MILB.TV, Dansby Swanson, the top pick in the 2015 Major League Baseball first-year player draft. He is actually making his pro debut tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday. We'll have it to you on Thursday, so you will have missed it by then. But uh, he'll be playing for the Hillsborough Hops in the Northwest League, and they have all of their games on milb.tv so you can check out dansby swanson and his pro debut and before we get you episode number 21 the final minor league all-star game of the year will have taken place a week from today when we're recording which is tuesday as i have noted next tuesday august 18th the new york penn league all-star game from aberdeen that also will be on milb tv so you can check out the stars of the new york penn league and that'll do it for episode number 20 of the show the first chapter of the sam dykstra era and sam a fantastic job sir oh thank you and if anybody has any thoughts if they uh you know any thoughts for how we should do this going forward any any criticisms of me any happy things to me you know be sure to tweet them to me um if you have any words for jake i'll pass them on but uh, (laughs) yeah no this is exciting to have this under my belt rest in peace jake sam dykstra is on twitter at sam dykstra milb by the way i'm at tyler mon and minor league baseball is at milb and uh until next week go uh find ryan williams on milb.com and then tweet at jake underscore signer man i can't believe how much you look like ryan williams and that's how (laughs) we'll round out the very first edition of the sam dykstra era sam great job man and uh we'll do it again next week and to all of you enjoy watching milb tv and wherever you find yourself at a ballpark this week we'll talk to you next week Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.